0: You know, when we're halfway through the season, um, I know more about the students I'm working with and their rescue skills, right, and maybe their decision-making skills than some of the friends that I ski tour with. So I honestly, like, I feel like a lot of these students, you know, have my back when I'm actually skiing with them.
1: You're tuned in to another episode of the Avalanche Hour podcast. I'm your guest host for this week, Dom Baker from Nelson, BC. A big thanks to Caleb for having me back for one more episode this season. And thanks to Wes Gregg for producing this episode. I hope that ankle's healing up, buddy. You'll be back on the skis stronger than ever. The Avalanche Hour podcast is proudly presented by Vison Avalanche Control. Safety through innovation. Additional support is provided by 10 Barrel Brewing drink beer outside, as well as InterWest Insurance. The goal of this podcast is to create a stronger community through the sharing of stories, knowledge and news amongst people with a curious fascination for avalanches. Well, it's hard to believe, but it's late April already. Spring skiing is definitely on right now in Western Canada. The temps are staying cold up high, and at least around the Kootenays, the snowpack grew for most of April. I've been seeing photos of folks skiing pow from the coast to the Rockies, so hopefully you're out there getting some turns in. We got a great episode lined up today. This is a conversation that I recorded way back in October. It was my first crack at an in-person interview, and with three mics and four people, there was the occasional hiccup with the audio. Nonetheless, I think this is a worthwhile conversation. This episode focuses on youth avalanche education, and specifically a high school program right here in Nelson. Graham Marshall is a longtime teacher and avalanche educator and since 2008 he's been running what is known as the ATLAS program. This is an outdoor leadership program for 16 to 18 year olds that runs for a whole semester and includes up to 20 days of avalanche education. I was curious about where this kind of comprehensive avalanche education at such a young age could take you. So Graham and I are joined by Laura Waterer and Mitch Ryan. They're both graduates of Graham's first year of the Atlas program, and they both went on to work in the avalanche industry. They're good friends of mine from our days on the Whitewater Ski Patrol, and they bring some good insight to the episode. Laura is a full-time avalanche forecaster at Whitewater now, and Mitch forecasts for the avalanche program at a mine in northwestern BC. Well, without further ado, here's Graham, Laura, and Mitch. Enjoy. Okay, so here we are on another episode the Avalanche Hour podcast and I'm joined by uh, three good friends from Nelson here. We're late October, early November and uh, staring down a ski season here, um, although this episode's going to air later on in the spring. Um, so first off, I'd like to bring in uh, Graham Marshall. Um, Graham, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to have you here. So I was wondering if you could uh, give us a bit of your background. Um, you're the the teacher and the guy that leads a really interesting um, outdoor ed program at the local high school. So I was hoping you could give us a bit of a background, a little bit of your kind of work in the avalanche world, and then um, kind of how you got into teaching the Atlas program.
2: Sure.
0: Thanks. Uh, yeah, my name is Brian Marshall. I am a professional member of the Canadian Avalanche Association. I've been um, creator of a outdoor, full-time outdoor education program called Atlas, and uh, that stands for Adventure, Tourism, Leadership, and Safety and the first year uh that we ran that was in 2007 and it's been trudging along ever since so it's actually uh been a large part of my career now uh as a certified teacher um i get the pleasure of uh, spending half of my year outside with with youth that that really want to be there and one large component of it is uh backcountry skiing winter travel skills avalanche safety uh, winter campaign, that sort of thing. So, yeah, students that do the program uh, receive certification in AST1. It's often taught in conjunction with the uh, ABS program through Whitewater. So I have a, often have a co-instructor who are both sitting by me right now uh, or other folks. And uh, they get a companion rescue skills course as well, which is a one-day rescue skills course. And uh, in the last few years, we've added the managing avalanche terrain, Served as well. We probably spend about twenty days, seventeen to twenty days, uh, either talking about avalanche safety or, and being outside in the field on skis, boards,
1: snowshoes. It's awesome. So they're yeah. actually getting the full suite of the Avalanche Canada course offerings, like minus the AST two, basically in there. Actually.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. And you know, we put in enough days that I've always felt that we could give an AST two, but. I think that uh, and I've thought about this ever since every every year that I've done Atlas and I'm still you know feel that not giving an AST2 is actually of more service than certifying students in an AST2 as I want them to take those skills mature a little bit go away you know knock around in the mountains for a few years and then recognize that you know, the ceiling is still way up there in terms of, of learning. So, sure,
1: yeah. Um, the learning continuum can, keeps going, right? Yeah, so
0: it's, it's sometimes has been a bit of a debate, and uh, I am I really feel that uh, not giving them ast 2 is,
1: is more value. Oh, that's awesome. And yeah. Is there an application process to get into the program? There is, yeah. Yeah, there is, and there's a selection committee, and, and that's a really tough, tough thing
0: to see uh, – Um, sometimes we just don't have enough room we have 16 spots and uh you know generally we have a one to eight safety ratio when we're in higher care terrain and i always need a a co-instructor and um, just to stay within the confines of safety ratios and when you put 16 students on a ridge with two instructors we we take up a lot of real estate so you know we have to we have to coexist with other recreationalists as
1: well sometimes other programs so uh, 16 is the max and we often divide into two groups right okay that makes sense yeah. so question that comes to mind is um in past interviews that i've done on the show here we talked about the uh the changes to like custodial groups in the mountains after the the big cannot creek avalanche um in 2003 so just wondering if obviously you started the program after that but like if you've kind of seen direct correlation between the the work you do now and some of the the changes that happened in our society after that
0: yeah, it was interesting because I remember I was working for Outbound uh, at that time in my summers at Pemberton, and I was working that winter that that avalanche occurred at Rogers Pass. And I remember um, being on ski patrol and, and getting the news of that and also having this. I was already a teacher then, and I had a vision of creating this program. And I remember just going, like, that's never going to happen. Like, there will never be. There will never be kids learning how to ski tour in high school ever again after that. And, uh, you know, it's such a a tragic story and it's always in the, you know, it's always in my head, like every year. And I've read all the, you know, after math reports and such, and it is, it really is a um, part of my decision-making process, you know, in my subconscious that, that accident. Um, and honestly, it's it's amazing though, like time, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that, that really don't know about that. Like I used to talk about that quite a bit and, and now it's like people. Are like,
1: this kind of faded a bit. From yeah, the it's definitely, memory. it
0: definitely has. Yeah.
1: It's an interesting one because I think yeah. in the professional community, it's still quite present, but uh, perhaps in the recreational community, maybe, you know, our memories yeah. are short. That's coming up on almost 20 years ago now. Yeah. So yeah. Maybe time for somebody to make a documentary and some lessons learned there. Yeah. Um, so you had a background in ski patrol, you were saying?
0: Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, I worked at uh, Blackcomb for uh, only one winter, actually. I was working at um, uh, Outward Bound in the summer, teaching mountaineering and all that. And uh, and then some other background was working for Nelson Search and Rescue, or volunteering with Nelson Search and Rescue, which I think I did 10 to 13 years or something like that. Um, nice. Got my Ops Level 1 in Lake Louise, I remember, in 99 or something like that. And then in 2008, I believe the year that uh, Laura and Mitch were in Atlas, uh,
1: I went that winter to work on my Level 2. Oh,
2: yeah?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nice. Well, that's a good segue to Laura and Mitch. Maybe we'll bring these guys in the conversation. So uh, a couple of my good friends from working at the Whitewater Ski Hill – Uh, kindly agreed to join us here today and uh, they're both grads of the atlas program that have gone on to not only teach adult or sorry uh, avalanche education to uh high school students but also uh, work in the industry and forecasting and ski patrol background so uh maybe laura let's start with you if you could just give us a little bit of your background and kind of when you took atlas and um what your current role is yeah hey um thanks
2: for having me don so nice to see you guys uh Yeah, I took Atlas in 2008, which I guess was the second year of the program and the first time that we did a full semester of just Atlas. I think the first year students also had other coursework on the go. Yeah, it feels like a long time ago now and also like pretty recent history. So that was like, I was the first person in my family, although we've been in this ski industry, my, my dad worked in the ski industry, but definitely on the the ski hill side of things and no one in my family before had dabbled into the back So it was, um, definitely the moment that kind of flipped the switch for me was the Atlas program. Um, I went away for a few years after high school, did some post-secondary and traveled and then, um, came back to Nelson and just had a winter where I decided, I wanted to do volunteer ski patrol and search and rescue, and I just wanted one winter. (laughs) And then that has morphed into, uh, I guess, close to 10 years now. And I'm now sitting in the role of assistant patrol director at Whitewater, and I help manage the avalanche response team with another colleague of mine from Whitewater. So I've been doing both search and rescue and Whitewater for almost 10 years, and yeah, it's uh, definitely springboarded off the Atlas program. I don't know if I would have had the opportunity to to get into the industry without um, that experience in high school. And then, yeah, I've been teaching avalanche programs, so the AST One Companion Rescue for some years now. I help with the Atlas program every year, and it feels like this great full circle. And I love seeing the students and hearing what they're up to and seeing them entering the ski industry and or bumping into them on the mountain bike trails and at the hill. And that's been really great. And then the last few winters, I have got my uh, Ops Level 2 um, just to support my role um, in patrol as well as to continue being able to teach. And I think I would really love to teach in the professional level programs, because I think there needs to be more diverse voices teaching in that program.
1: Yeah, so. you'd be an asset for sure. So uh, just a question that came up there. So you, it's a full semester, like that's their full course load for your semester is Atlas?
2: Yeah, they do four days a week and Fridays off. But you know, it's not your average school day, you're in there early, you stay late. Um, and then I think you get like a PE credit yeah. and a few other credits as well. So yeah, it's pretty amazing. That, that is amazing.
1: I think back to myself sitting in math class just wishing there was something like that. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. And, and it's safe to say you've gone on and actually hired some of your your fellow Atlas students at Whitewater Patrol. I keep thinking back, there's quite a few kids that have come through that program locally here and have gone on to do some pretty amazing things.
2: Yeah, definitely. We've hired, I always try and uh, give them an opportunity because I know that's what sprung me into the the industry. I was really lucky when I started at Whitewater um, to have Graham being a mentor, and then Ren McElroy, who's been a friend and a mentor for years for me, um, hired me and as a volunteer, and then and then said she would give me a paid position the next year if I got my ops one. So um, I I just think about that, and I just want to be able to give that opportunity to other students who are kind of chasing the same path that I was. So. Awesome. Great. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Very
1: cool. Right on Mitch. And, uh, you know, I had our first pro year on patrol together and many an adventure over the years. So yeah. Thanks for joining us. We're all sitting here face to face, by the way, which is the first face to face interview that I've done here for the podcast. So this is a real treat. But anyway, good to see you, buddy. And, uh, maybe you can give us a sense of your background. When Atlas
3: was part of your life. Yeah. Since my background. So born and raised in Nelson, um, like a lot of folks who, who take the Atlas program through yeah. the local high school there. And uh, I guess I was in a, I was skiing when I was, as soon as I could walk sort of thing. My parents weren't too into it, but they kind of gave me, gave me every opportunity uh, available in the world of activity and sports and stuff. But throughout, uh, you know, junior high and high school, I kind of swapped winter seasons with like a, you know, a hockey team and a ski pass. And then uh, I was in the biggest academic uh guy in high school so alice program was kind of perfect for me it scratched my itch and i actually did it in grade 11 so that was 2008 uh laura and i did it the same year yeah from then i just realized that that was kind of my my ticket to my early years after after high school i i kind of knew that i didn't want to go into post-secondary right away so uh yeah how did it work i think it Graduated first year possible. I kind of got on volunteer patrol because you can be a professional without your CA uh, ops level one. And then when I was nineteen, I did that course and got on uh, pro patrol. That was with Udom, which was awesome. Those are those are great years. And uh, during that time, uh, to tie this in with the Atlas program, is actually kind of work with. Every once in a while, whether it was, uh, you know, a day out in the winter, just as like a second or, or maybe a rock climbing trip just to uh, help out. Then in my early years of pro patrol, got into teaching um, the AABBS program, the ABS program, which uh, was a society started after a, a good friend of a lot of, um, you know, kids in town passed away at the age of 19 who is a big uh legend skier in town so that society started a couple years after he passed away and then uh, i ended up kind of starting teaching with that right away as like a assistant instructor and then that morphed into kind of taking the um, lead on that society for probably four years while still patrolling there
1: And so just to clarify that society more or less facilitates avalanche education for high school kids is that right
3: exactly uh yeah for youth they don't have to like necessarily it doesn't have to be through a school but schools also kind of tap into that if they have a program that uh, is kind of geared towards that so like avalanche awareness beyond the boundary society is the acronym and they would teach like public courses so for kids who you know just came off uh, out of the ski or something but then they'd also kind of help deliver courses for programs like Atlas or there was a couple other programs not as serious um, around the Kootenays, um at their local schools that that would use it as well. Right. So through that I worked with you know Atlas and other other programs and then also taught just a mixture of uh, kids um, from the community and AABBS was cool. I. It's kind of interesting because like I think a lot of parents looked at it like I'm going to put my kids in here for the weekend. So maybe I can go skiing or I want them to get this information, even though they might have not have been there yeah. yet. Uh, I was for youth 13 to 18. So if you get a 13 year old kid like put in a course by their parents to learn avalanche education, like they might not be too into it. Right. But then you get this 18 year old who's just like hungry for this because maybe they're 19 year old friends who just paid for their own course. Gets a free course, and they're just like, you know, right. Right, so wanting all this information.
1: A big range in kind of desire and motivation and stuff. by sounds good. Totally.
3: And my fourteen-year-old daughter did it last year,
1: and was she into it Was, was you? It? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, That's cool. She was a, a keener mm-hmm. and just loved it. She's got the exposure to uh, the backcountry from yourself, yeah, yeah. And it was so nice for her dad not to be saying something to her, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, yeah we all know kids learn better yeah, from other people yeah, than they, they do from their parents, yeah. I can't say and it's free, that's amazing. Yeah. And all in the name of uh the legendary Travis Steger, who, uh, for the listeners, this is um kind of a North America wide podcast, as you guys might know, and uh, a lot of folks would be familiar with the Armada TST ski, which was uh kind of in the name of Travis Steger right after he passed away. Yeah. Real skier and rising star, you might say.
3: Yeah, for sure. So yeah, AAB, AABBS was great. And uh, um, it was nice that the local, um, you know, high school programs could kind of tap into that resource. And I remember when I was doing it, uh, I think we certified like up to 100 kids a year with an AST1.
1: Amazing.
3: Yeah, it's pretty cool. Really cool. So sort we're of running like three or four public courses and then between the programs um, uh, in the schools that would take us up to about 100 kids a year.
1: So on, on that note, this may be a little rabbit hole, but we've got the Atlas program at the local high school here in Nelson. But now it's, it's safe to say a lot of the other schools in the area have outdoor leadership programs that are somewhat similar. Yeah, I think so. I think it's definitely sort of a, uh, growth,
0: <laughs> a growth industry for, for education. Um which is interesting because I've really done education for most of my career outdoor education. And it really is the oldest form of education out there. Most people will be like this new idea, you know, we're going to, you know, take kids outside and things like that. It's like, well, this is what you know, people have learned for, you know, forever in a way it's been outside. So we're not really, I don't, I don't feel like we're reinventing, uh, you know, like we're, we're not doing anything new here We're it's just, education that works in, in my opinion
1: yeah.
0: and um, it it really it adds a a sense of um realism to the world where it, and and it's just it's applicable to to being outside your your classroom is out there and and you know you know i, I also teach earth science and, and i try and go outside as much as i can with, with students because it's like well we could look at you know uh an unsorted uh glacial till deposit in the book or we could just go you know, a block away, and take a shovel and dig down and look at it right there, right? right. So, I mean, to me, that just it just makes the most sense. Uh, it's the most enjoyable. It energizes myself. I find it energizes students for the most part. Oh, you're keeping kids engaged, right? For yeah, a year and
1: break right from sitting still. And, yeah.
0: yeah, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, and people yeah. like to move, particularly in, in this town. So Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Many small mountain towns around the country would probably feel the same way. Little little uh, energetic people sitting in desks is a hard amount of energy. Yeah. And
0: And not to say that it's not valuable. I mean, that's important. And we all have, you know, times that we have to sit at our desks and, you know, like, fill out safety reports and, you know, we have to have those skills as well. And we have to be able to send a well-crafted email and and things like that too. Right. Um, So I'm not, you know, pooing that stuff It's just that, you know, I think this is sort of brings things you know, sort of full circle, particularly for an outdoor uh, if, you, if
1: you want to have a career in the outdoors, I mean, you also have to have those academic skills as well. Yeah. Just to kind of close up here with Mitch, I uh, just wanted to get a sense of where you're at now and what your current role is, because you've moved on from the ski hill after years of uh,
3: working there. Yeah, exactly. So uh, what was it? I think six years um, as a pro patroller at Whitewater. And then kind of through that time did my uh, CA ops level two and uh started forecasting a little bit for whitewater and then moved on to uh, an industrial site in northern bc as a forecaster and avalanche technician so kind of switched gears there and kind of started working with bigger paths and bigger equipment um instead of uh forecasting for uh people sure and I'm still risk. yeah still doing that now it'll be my sixth year at bruce jack um there so it's Don't really flies. happening yeah it's kind of funny like i haven't talked about atlas in a while but thinking back to 2008 doing that program and where I'm at now and, and, uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting to see, see where that program kind of
1: took me. Absolutely. I mean, to paraphrase, you said you weren't, you know, super academic and you wanted to move and, you know, do this kind of exciting program. And here you are with like a solid technical skill set, and working in an industrial site and a lot of responsibility forecasting for lots of workers. And yeah, Day shifts, night shifts, like lots of explosives. I mean, that's the real deal, and it all came out of an outdoor leadership program in high school.
3: It totally did, yeah. That's interesting because, like, my parents weren't uh, too into the backcountry um, when I was a kid, so Atlas was my first first time putting a pair of skins on or clipping my heel into a touring binding. Right, I think I was using Alpine. Day records as Graham calls them. <laughs> My first time. <day. laughs> i couple those in the box. Oh, yeah. I can't remember
1: thing. Like, yeah, you don't use them for the kids that are misbehaving. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you
3: can use those too. Yeah, yeah. I'll find that. But yeah, I mean, first time on skin trail, like a lot of firsts in that program and a lot of things that I still use today. And even in teaching, whether it's in like work and industrial site is like, special avalanche technician it's pretty funny thinking back i'm just like wow yeah, yeah I learned this when in was 16 through a high school program from graham yeah anything in particular come to mind well no. it's even just like you, you know you do your first ast course and it's like forecasting isn't rocket science it comes down to like basic things and right. what you learn in that first ast course i mean you can go as in depth as you want but when it comes down to it you pretty much default to the basics right
1: absolutely i mean that's such the beauty of avalanche education is it's just sort of like further refinement of the same key concepts yeah. that you learn right from day one.
3: Yeah. But I can even remember like, uh, whatever putting skins away or, or doing a, a kick turn or something like that. It's all kind of, yeah. Well, thanks to Graham stemmed from that. Right <laughs> it don't really change much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd love to get into some more stuff here with Laura and Mitch, but uh, Graham, I'd like to bring it back to you here. We're in, the start of the ski season, um, well, actually, that's probably just dreaming to even call it the start of the ski season, where like early November here, the, the Halloween candy hangover is just sort of wearing off, and you're gearing up for a winter of teaching avalanche education to kids. So what kind of what does the process look like for you and the, the flow from sort of this time of the year through to the spring?
0: Uh, well, we first have to start getting uh, the group together. Yeah. And uh, so, in a few weeks, I'm going to have a meeting with all of the, the students who've known that they're going to be doing this experience. Uh, they found out last uh, March. And I kind of forget about that for a while. And then uh, I sort of go, I have a lot of logistics I have to organize. And um, so, I always have a meeting with uh, their parents or, or guardians. And that has never changed, even in COVID, I've been doing Zoom meetings with everybody uh, to really go over the sort of the ground rules and the expectations and make sure that you know, nobody's sort of, you know, there, there needs to be this sort of informed consent going on. And so I will start with um, a slideshow of pictures over the years and those photos will have students in avalanche terrain. It'll have photos of students, uh, you know, in a soggy, you know, rain drenched tent and things like that. So it's not this sort of all blue sky photos and, you know, just, this is going to be great. And, you know, the, the idea with the program is that there is hardship is designed to be part of the program. And that's, and that's where we grow.
3: Right. And
0: um, so, you know, we want to make sure that everybody is, is on the same page, if you will, and, and know that, you know, your son or your daughter are going to be in potentially dangerous environments. And there is the, you know, what is risk, how do we manage risk, that sort of thing. So that, that's we sort of start with that. And one thing about Atlas that's kind of unique is that it starts actually in winter. It starts in the heart of winter. Because it's a second semester. It's a second semester. So we start in late January when the days are pretty short. The snowpack is deep. The days are cold. And so that's actually a, a real sort of, that's a challenge is we want to make sure that we're, you know, we have got proper gear. We understand the importance of, you know, pacing ourselves. Um, Prevention is the best first aid, you know, Uh, and really just making sure that everybody understands that safety is not just my responsibility, but it's, it's everyone's responsibility. And um, yeah, so starting, we do two days in the classroom and we talk about, you know, layering and nutrition and, you know, hypothermia and, you know, how things are going to work. And then we, we basically get out there after two days and we do a full day and uh, we start on snowshoes day one. I think that's always going to be a tradition. And we, we basically, if anyone knows the whitewater backcountry, we we started hummingbird pass and we go up and over white queen, follow the five mile Ridge all the way down. And then we basically follow the, the rope line uh, back down to the, to the lodge. And you know, it's a nine kilometer day or something like that. And you know, and I sort of say that's the proving day. It's like before we put slidey things under our feet like skis and snowboards, I put grippy things under your feet to make sure that we all understand how that we we stick together. that We don't uh, just, you know, everybody goes off and, you know, other directions and such. So, um, yeah. And, and then, you know, we pretty much every day is uh, is accounted for in terms of either it's other classroom day doing, uh, you know, Avalanche terrain theory, you know, snowpack theory, uh, human factors. We talk a lot about human factors, and uh, I mean, which I I've advocated for so long in avalanche education, particularly with youth, is being able to uh, control your your own emotions. is a, is a hard thing to do. Sure. And um, yeah, and we just we just basically try and take advantage of the
1: winter right up until uh, late March, early April. So you start pretty much right away with the AST after they've kind of. uh, Yeah, we start
0: pretty much after um, I do an intro to ski touring day because I've also taught some private AST courses. And sometimes if anyone that's taught an AST out there knows, you know, the first day can sometimes be it feels more like an intro to ski touring day. So we go and stay in simple terrain. We do an actual intro to ski touring day to make sure the gear works, skins work you know, how to lay a you know, logical ski track, skin track. Um just we get all that sort of static yeah, that makes out sense. before we start talking about uh avalanche terrain, snowpack, that sort of stuff. Just to just to sort of clear that out. Mm. Yeah. And and I have the luxury of time. I have the luxury of time to, you know, you know 17 to 20 days you can you can you can yeah. take your time a little more and I, and I like that you know you're not just pouring knowledge into a cup and just it's just overflowing all day and then it's like well we have to get through this so we can sort of break it down into nice uh, bite-sized pieces for everybody and and I, and I think that
1: that works must really aid the retention when you're not drinking out of the fire hose of information yes exactly yeah my right god that's yeah. awesome um laura here and graham talk about like kind of the intro to ski touring and some of the structure of ast and stuff does that bring to mind things that you have incorporated in youth asts that you've taught
2: definitely i mean we are still a little bit more on the crunch when we teach like i'm i often teach public courses uh, The youth courses are always unique because it's just such a different perspective and a different way to give information often uh, when I teach with Graham, we come with, he comes with quite a strong group. And so you can push a little bit more and, and get a little bit more done in a day. Um, with the youth AST courses that we teach through Whitewater, it's not so much about the skiing, I would say. Um, I guess that kind of maybe comes later for the students. It's more about the the, the more basic skills and the knowledge. So definitely something I've had to write in from the atlas program um yeah I think like first and foremost like the atlas program is a leadership program not a ski program and that's where and I try and bring that into my other course offerings is like backcountry it's not like you know the ASTs as much as it's a ski course it's not really a ski yeah. course and that's always what I like preface my courses with is like we're not going out and getting after it like hopefully we get some good turns but that's certainly not the purpose of this weekend and I think a lot of people come into the program thinking you know this is where we're going to get sendy in the backcountry with a a guide and it's like no 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 (laughs) so I think that's definitely something I've taken away from like teaching with Graham is teaching that leadership portion in in the courses I teach
1: Cool. That yeah. makes sense. I think back to some youth courses that I've taught and I've found that like there's a certain demographic, maybe it's often the young male that's like almost looking for their, their like, I don't know, ticket to shred kind <laughs> <Yeah>. of thing. <laughs> and so like reigning in that enthusiasm, but like kind of harnessing it in the same way of like, this kid's obviously passionate about backcountry skiing and the idea of it and probably watched a lot of cool movies and seeing the scene around a lot of these small ski hills is pretty amazing for caliber of rider, but like, so how do you take that and then kind of rein it back in a little bit so that uh, you can kind of get a sense of what the risks are involved?
2: Yeah. um, I think it's really interesting because we do often get like, like Whitewater has quite the up and coming free ride ski team. And a lot of those kids end up in our youth AST programs because the venues are often like they're wearing avalanche airbags and transceivers and the venues aren't necessarily in a controlled area and also they're starting to push themselves and want they're seeing yeah these free ride skiers you know we've got some pretty legendary locals that have come out of that team and they see that and they want to be that and they see this as a step but often and I think the atlas program does a great job with this is you get those free ride skiers in the atlas program and you also get people who maybe aren't strong skiers, maybe they're more of a, like a rock climbing interest or they, they are great academically and they have great leadership or they excel in team sports and they're still doing the Atlas program. So what we grade students on isn't their ski ability, but their skills and taking care of their friends out there and their skills decision-making. And, and if you kind of praise that and, and exemplify that and how you interact with them, um I think it you know there's definitely some reining in that happens Mm -hmm. um but at the same time there's a lot of I think I think they see it and 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 with leader like with good leadership like Graham and Mitch taught for years and you can kind of find the right balance of having a lot of fun and this is the potential that we can have fun but you know we still want to be safe. We still want to come home at the end of the day. And like, right. I think, you know, reigning that excitement, I think there's a balance for sure.
1: sure. It's an interesting compliment to the free ride team because you make a good point. It does turn out a lot of good skiers. I mean, Sam Cooch is getting awards here and there and everywhere, powder awards and all this stuff. And he's a graduate of Atlas and, you know, graduate of the free ride team. So it's obviously successful, but to have uh, yeah, that safety and risk assessment background as well as the encouragement to charge it and have a spot landing and all that kind of stuff from the free ride team side of things. I'm always amazed at how,
0: how good the skiers are in the yeah. program for the most part. Like it's just, it's unreal. And so it's, we, we sort of set up, you know, sort of say it really early on. It's like, this is not Jib Camp. Jib Camp happens on your weekend. You can go and, you know, do yeah. this on the, and you get Fridays off and you've got your, your weekend and I've, i can't really ever remember having to basically say that's not going to happen you know and for some uh some of the riders in the program that you know they're always so polite and humble and it just blows my mind and they'd be like can i you know sir can i go off that uh, do you mind if i go off that little boulder you know they always add i'm like yeah sure you know like <laughs> Do you mind if I do a 360? And you're like, yeah, you know, like so many students could do a you know, a three sixty and they could probably have a, you know, a cup of coffee and sandwich <laughs> in their hand and do it no problem. And, and so that's that for that conversation. It's like, you know, like somebody like Mitch or Laura, like they're great skiers. And it's like, yeah, for you to do that out here is probably, you know, lower risk than me just trying to, you know, ski down an icy cool water or something like that, you know, or refrozen cat track. So, yeah, that's no problem. So we have to look at it as, you know, ability, where we are. And so just really trying to get across the what if, you know, it's like we don't just do anything in here without thinking about it. So let's think about what we're going to do before we do it. And so, you know, and, and it's different. It depends on, on people's ability and our location, time of day, all that stuff. And so to be able to get that stuff across, you know, I've, I've seen it you know in some programs where it's like you know, no jumping, period. And it's sort of like, well, that doesn't, you know, we're also wanting to yeah. have fun while we're out there.
1: It kind of turns people off. What yeah. That
0: and important? it's like, you know, I always do try in our, in our courses, it's like, it's not a ski course like Laura said, but, you know, we always do try and find a line to, to give them ski, like to sort of say, okay, let's apply this now. Let's go. Right. So to try and make it
1: applicable and that it makes sense to, to them really, really helps. And It sounds like you're kind of formalizing the risk assessment process in a way like how you know your the time of day and your exposure to uh, cold temps, or your you know consequences for having some kind of a wreck based yeah. on your your actions. Thinking about that instead of just kind of sending it blindly.
0: Yeah. On what side of the mountain are you on? Are you if we have to do a rescue, if we have to pull somebody out, are we pulling them downhill to a road, or are we going to have to pull them uphill to a ridge and then downhill? Sure. Those are like you know often our terrain selection. You know when I'm deciding where to go with. A, a novice group is like I'd like to be on this side of the mountain so if we do have a problem it's a downhill pole. Yeah.
1: And to think about that as a gift too yeah, that's maybe not necessarily the first thing that comes to your mind so that's a great introduction to that.
0: And, and sort of going on to that sort of like trying to get the point across for, for people that just want to send is uh, you know we do some, uh, I don't want to give too much away in case any you know prospective students are listening but uh, having some mock accidents that actually appear to be real uh, is a really great way to sort of say how long do you think it would take to pull somebody with a you know not a spinal injury or you know a broken pelvis somebody that's blowing their knee and you put them in a you know improvised rescue
1: toboggan how long would it take to pull that person 300 meters to a road a long time and a sweaty good time too yes <laughs> so is that yes. something that you're sneaking on the students like uh, not obviously this is going to come out I in spring by the way it. so your students are what's that are you, I can still remember it you do eh yeah yeah, yeah. tell us about that Our winter camping trip
3: Yeah, I can remember Graham fell over and I was like Graham fell over Graham doesn't fall over you know he's so not the one to like like, you know, close <laughs> me. I guess anyone could, but not agreed but then everyone kinda comes back, it's like ants on an anthill. it's like, wait, what's happening? Like words going around like Graham's hurt. Oh, what, what do we do now? Graham's hurt. And then it's like, All right, we, we have to drag Graham back to the cabin. And then I can remember thinking, like, is he messing with us? He's gotta be messing with us. But then it's like, no, he actually looks hurt. He's hurt. That's crazy. No, he's definitely messing with us. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like pretty much until he got back to the cabin, I was like, it's weird. <laughs> so, um, can you talk about that process
1: a little bit and how that response went? Like, how that, the rescue went? How you guys organized yourselves? and
3: Yeah, I mean, I can remember it not that well. It was over like 10 years ago now. But uh, I mean, that's like where the program comes from adventure tourism, leadership, and safety. Like, definitely people who are kind of like leadership. Um, roles in that program were the first ones to kind of like hop on board with like okay like we need to organize this and we need to make sure he's not getting cold and we need to start like moving and like organizing ourselves to get this done quicker right whether that's like breaking trail back to the cabin with a couple people just so that dragging someone is easier with an improvised fog like little things
2: like that you remember anything about that? (laughs) So my other course in high school was Tropical Ecology, and I was in Costa Rica for oh, <laughs> two weeks it. during it's that not trip. Not like but luckily, I actually got to go teach on that trip one year with Graham and our friend Randy and Lila. Or, and so I got to like relive the high school experience I missed, except I got to sleep in the cabin, not in the tent. <laughs>
1: How did you go to Costa Rica in high school? Like I where did I go where did I go wrong? <laughs> I grew up in the wrong town. You like ski touring and then going to Costa Rica to study tropical. It was cultures.
2: a, yeah, That's a challenging semester. <laughs> you That's know, a juggle. No, it was so fun. I remember I feel like rap was a little bit
1: choked that I skipped out, but a question for you guys, because it sounds like this is a regular part of your program, sneaking these um accidents on your kids, but you've actually had to respond to real accidents in the past, right? Is there not a story about being at Skaha rock climbing and dealing with a real deal Yeah,
0: yeah, injury? Yeah, we've had some, um, well, first of all, I'd like to just set the record straight. This doesn't involve any students. We've actually got a, a really gleaming safety record. I mean, the only first aid that I really thought about that I've done since 2007 is I think somebody cut their finger with a knife uh, on a, cutting like an apple or something like that and blisters like if you, I can't think of any other can you can you just think of any other injury I can't think of that but yeah no we but it you know it's it's real out there and uh we were on a climbing trip in 2013 to Scott and we were climbing um a great day and we hit the, party that was climbing beside us all day. And they uh, they had a really bad climbing accident, long story short, uh, due to poor communication. And uh, somebody got dropped. They, they thought they were getting lowered off the top, 26 meters. And uh, they basically, their belayer let them off, uh, took them off belay. And that person, just poor communication. And basically, uh climber fell three feet to the right of uh, my closest student and we had to we had to spring into action and that was really heavy heavy duty Um, fortunately the person survived exploded their arm exploded their helmet exploded their pelvis and uh, students had finished a 40-hour wilderness first aid course Uh, we were doing we had communication devices and um, we knew exactly where we were and I had another really skilled co-instructor with me and um yeah we had uh some students that really were hands-on in that and we had some students that uh were you know knew that they didn't need to be involved and they were able to keep the rest of the group there on a and we just had people on a as we need you basis but we had them over there and we basically got a machine to come in um I remember having a student I was like you know, organizing where the, the LZ for the, for the machines come in. And I was like, I need a space blanket and I need a saw. I remember saying that and this student kale was standing there with a space blanket in his hand and a saw, like a folding saw. I honestly, I never take a folding saw when I go rock climbing. Uh, but yeah. And I'm like, that's a space blanket. That's a saw." He's like, I know we need that. We had had to to, to cut down uh, a couple of trees uh, just to get the the machine to, you know, just give it oh, a yeah. closer landing, and uh, he had it. And we were using the um, space blanket more as a signaling device. Okay, just because uh, when the machine flew over, so he had it ready for you before you messed. Know, yeah, right. yeah, okay. we've had we've actually had a number of things where it has not involved students, but we uh, it was three years ago. This is out of canoe trip, and we found a guy in Kootenay Lake in June. three hundred to four hundred meters off the shore, in the middle of Kootenay Lake on a Monday. Uh, in a submerged kayak in a pair of board shorts with no PFD. And I saw something I thought it was a moose swimming across the lake at first and we went to investigate and it was a guy and he had flipped and he'd been in the water for about 15 minutes.
1: And you guys just happened to and we him. just
0: happened to be there. And uh, we got him on the canoes and I was like, and I thought for sure he wasn't even going to be conscious. And he basically had like a Pelican style um, kayak and he borrowed it from a friend paddled the two or three K across Kootenai Lake and it didn't have the little plug in the back, and it started to fill up with water. And he didn't have a plan. He was just basically rolling around in this submerged plastic um, thing. And we just happened, to, like, I just saw him. It was right by Hitch Creek. And I was like, Anyway, so we're paddling into shore with him. And uh, I can see the other students that had already gone because they had just stopped for lunch with the canoes. And I was like, yelling, like, get a fire go get a fire going. you know like totally like we're paddling as hard as we can i've got this guy over my barrels in the canoe paddling as hard as we can to the shore and then they the students parted and they had a fire going that probably had flames you know like a meter and a half high they already knew exactly what was going on and i remember that they had to spare clothing they already got in and they were ready to basically do a hypothermic wrap on oh yeah it was, a, that was a weird one and um we had a bunch of trout that we just caught and Cooked up a bunch of trout for this guy over the fire, got him warm. Made a phone call. Somebody came and picked him up in a little Zodiac. And oh yeah, yeah, it was pretty interesting. So over the years, you know, that doesn't happen every year, but we've we've had a, a number of uh, uh, moments where we've actually helped people be in the backcountry, which, which feels really good, and that is a great final exam for any. Student in the course. You couldn't plan that. Thank God. No. that doesn't happen every year. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. I I can't take. Yeah, I don't. I, I
1: can
0: take one every. not yeah. every year. I don't
1: need that. So. Uh, you know. just to bring it back to skiing in avalanche land, as this is the Avalanche Hour podcast. Although those are some amazing stories, um, Mitch. I just wanted to kind of bring it back to what we were talking about about um, formalizing the risk assessment process and you know as a young shredder growing up at whitewater and there's some for people who haven't skied there there's some serious terrain there and some cool really steep lines and everything else so i'm picturing you know a bunch of guys and girls on a weekend you know standing at the top of some heavy duty line and you know might be students of the atlas program so like does that risk assessment process that you guys learn during the school week is that something that gets kind of parked when you're you know a real keen teenager and now all of a sudden you're just sending it or is it does that actually stay as part of your kind of uh, decision making process i think it stays for sure
3: i think like to be like dissecting the public avalanche bulletin at the age of 16 as in depth as you do with a program like alice there's very rarely you know people of that age doing that in different places without sure. that um, opportunity, right? So I think like, yeah, being a, you know, 13 year old kid and following your buddies, you're ducking rope lines, you're building jumps at the bottom of like size four paths and climax events. And you don't really realize it. Ignorance is bliss, right? And then you kind of get this education and then you start teaching this education. And that's where I love uh, teaching the youth because it's like, hey, I've been there. I've done this. I realize now the mistakes I may have made. And being able to pass that on and maybe catch, like, one light bulb go off in someone for a a weekend course, it just, like, feels really good. Can you recall a time, like, where it became,
1: say, obvious that, you know, your Atlas buddies maybe were making decisions differently when you're standing at the top of the line than kids that were not in the program? All the time
3: to this day still to this day. Oh yeah. When I have like force some buddies to like check their avalanche transceiver <laughs> yeah. at a skin track. For sure. But that's, that's a, that's a good example. right? just like, so now we're getting into this like teenager, like the just starting to come out. It's like, you know, 2005, 2008, like people have transceivers. Some don't, you're just some adjacent, the ski area boundaries. So there's not too much risk. Like there's a lot of traffic in there already. Uh, but, you know, some people have the gear, some don't. And then all the people have the gear, but some people don't use it properly and some people do. So, you know, having this injection of knowledge into the community, like, oh, it takes is one person to, you know, teach their buddy who wasn't as fortunate to be in the Alex program to know now say, you know, actually you wear it like this and you turn it on like this and you check
1: it this way, right? That's an interesting point. I was in the music store in town here just a couple of days ago looking at some microphone type equipment and the kid that was in there was a... Pretty recent graduate of the local high school here, and he was a hardcore music kid. But he said that uh, growing up backcountry skiing with his buddies in Nelson, he was he felt the Atlas influence on his decision making. Even though he didn't even take the program because his buddies had all the kids that he was charging with, so he he actually had really good things to say about the program, Graham. And he wasn't even a student uh, of yours, okay. so that's pretty cool. I thought um, so interesting point that you make there, Mitch, about how Atlas kids are kind of spreading that information through through the local community.
3: Yeah totally, there's a following. And, and I think the P like Graham was saying, there's an application process and a lot of people or a lot of kids uh, get rejected just based on availability, right? So I think, you know, if someone has taken Atlas and someone hasn't, I mean, that person who hasn't and maybe wanted to, they're going to like, you know, try and get that knowledge from, from their friend who is lucky enough to take the program. So yeah, it, it totally propagates for
1: sure. Can you guys recall any like particular notable like teaching moments that you had while you're in the course sounds like that rescue scenario was one but I remember you doing a it wasn't you maybe it was the free ride team but doing a demo for the free ride team where we like buried one of the kids in a trench and we had the dog find them like can you guys think of anything in particular like that that really made an impact on you at, at a young age
2: I can I can recall a lot of days out. I remember Mitch falling backwards off a skin track in Trackers. <laughs> <That was pretty> <laughs> <funny>. <laughs> I think like I just like one thing that comes to mind is like we were using what F F1, one ordaux F ones in that program. Uh,
0: there was there were some orthodox F ones, and then I think that year we ended up getting track.
2: To Not in, the, in my uh, illustrated no. DTS.
0: DTS oh, okay. DTS, yeah. And then uh now we've got the very box.
2: So. Okay. I think just like the caliber of the equipment that students show up with. And I think of like us in our secondhand patched together gear. I think a friend of mine whose dad was a heli ski guide had an extra pair of skis with touring bindings on it that were like gifted to me. Mm-hmm. And that's how I like I still remember putting in like the Randonet skin track and what a slog that was for to do one lap. And, and, and now I think of when I teach the kids and, and they're like wide eyed and it's such a big day and they're just put, like, like everything they've got for some of them is like left in the mountains and how you kind of take for granted that that's a pretty average weekend for, you know, where you go out with friends and you do two or three laps and that kind of changing mentality of like, when I think about how everything was like new and there was just like this like huge expanse of the world that I could now see. Um, And I still remember that feeling of, and, and I even think of like my mom and she's still scared that as soon as you leave the rope line, like you're in danger and just like the knowledge of kind of growing up like that and kind of looking back and having that shift in that program where all of a sudden there was a lot more possible out there. Mm -hmm.
0: We often talk a lot about uh, the uptrack as well, and you're spending 90% of your time going up. And so there's there's a lot of talk on that and and the idea of moving safely as a group on uptrack or trying to remove the hazard as much as possible when you're you're going up. I think I've been saying this since 2008, when we're putting in an uptrack, the idea of you want to leave a legacy not a problem nice <laughs> and so because yeah i think i'm a little bit of a top track snob you know Fair enough. And, uh, <laughs> the idea is like you really the, you know around whitewater is getting so busy now and, and the idea is you know if you don't like a track you don't have to follow it obviously right, right? It doesn't mean that that person knew what they were doing it's the same reason if you're on a ridge and a cornice ridge and you see a track that is it's like you do not follow that track unless you feel that that track is the right track
1: yeah. you have to do your own hazard yes assessment for yes
0: sure. so that's really a big <clears throat> a big part
1: of, part of um efficiency um, of movement can make such a difference to your fatigue levels over the day too And oh, yeah. when you're fatigued you make uh, you have a different more difficult time making good decisions Absolutely, your awareness decreases yeah yeah that's like, like, yeah that's you know was it 80 percent of
3: all
0: mountaineering accents, occur on the way down in summer months anyway. No okay. kidding. So, hey, I found this. Um, I just want to share this with, with these guys. I went, I stopped in at the Atlas uh, Base Camp on my way over here, and I found this picture. that has been on my my uh, portable, in my portable, on my bulletin board, got mm-hmm. uh, These two at the back
1: of a snow cave. So for the radio <laughs> here, we've got uh, Mitch and Laura photo from them in high school at the back of a snow cave during their their. I think that
2: was the night of my 18th birthday. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah,
1: we spent so, that night in a game. That's right. That's pretty cool. Laura, I had a question for you about like, because uh, you were in the early years of Atlas. Like, what was the the gender divide like? You talked you talked about diversity in our industry.
2: I think my year was pretty evenly represented. I think a lot more. Actually, I don't know, like, so, like, I still have like four of my best friends who were in that course, who are still super close to tour today. So um, I think my year was really special. We probably had fairly equal. I don't mm-hmm. know if that was. I know we might have even had more women than men and or mm-hmm. more. Fo- yeah. And then uh, I don't know if all the women who I went through that course with, and all the folks um, ended up in the ski industry probably very few of them in the grand scheme, but I think ski, like backcountry skiing and riding is still a part of all of their lives in some regards, which is pretty cool. Like I still totally. see the homies out there from the 08 class, which is pretty neat, but uh, what would you say, Mitch?
3: Totally. I think I remember there being more females and males, which is great, um, and mm-hmm. then like moving into something like Whitewater is definitely a good female representation
1: there my ears at least yeah i don't know how unique this town is in that way but i've always found that like within the whitewater ski patrol at least uh there's a pretty good balanced crew like i mean ren was uh hiring based on merit but it just so worked out that like we had i remember there was two days week mondays and tuesdays where like predominantly women working which was pretty cool yeah. yeah fun days to work for sure but anyway neat within our industry that we're seeing that and hopefully that's a uh, trend that continues Great. Well, I, I was going to ask you, Graham, about some, if you had a notable event or anything like that from the Atlas program, we've kind of talked about some summer stuff there already, which is some pretty amazing um, rescues that you had to take part on, but is there any kind of notables that come to mind And it doesn't have to be at near miss or anything, but just like a real interesting learning moment for your, your students.
0: I did a, I did a master's in uh, youth avalanche education and I, um, I remember that just I've always really tried to make the learning as realistic as possible. And so, I, you know, I if you don't take them out there and sort of the motto of Atlas is Atlas takes you there. And I've always really tried to make sure that it it really is feels real. And it doesn't mean that. Um, like, we're out there doing stuff, and often, you know, the perceived risk is greater than the actual risk, but there, there certainly is an element of risk. And, you know, when I talk to parents and things like that, we talk, yeah, you know, I say, you know, a lot of this is, is avalanche avoidance and, and terrain avoidance. And, you know, there's a much greater uh, likelihood of a student in the program falling in a tree wall than. Uh, getting caught in an avalanche. Now they're both possible. Like, you know, as soon as you say that none of those are possible, you're you know, you're up to launch. Um, so you know, we we really haven't. It, students really me. to take it really serious. Um, we've had you know a few students sort of uh, not like auger in like lawn dart into a tree well or anything like that. But you know, we've always had, we've had things where it's been real, like you know, or had somebody get uh, separated from the group by remember own day with Mitch. <laughs> These people? I was like, we couldn't have been more clear, and they just basically followed the. They went off this ridge, and then you know we were doing a head count Like, oh, we're missing two. And that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, there really hasn't been uh, too much out there that has has uh, um, you know shook me to the core at all. Um, we've, we've gone out in terrain area in, you know, hazard that's been considered high when, when things have been electric and managed the terrain. And and those are like incredible learning days. You know, it's like, this is all about avoiding the terrain sure and then being able to go to a ridge and, you know, see remote triggers happening and things like that. That's
1: can't That, those are great days. Oh, sure. And teaching the kids that like there, there are potential, objectives for for high hazard day. It's just about managing yes. the magnitude of the terrain. And yeah um there's days to go out and send it and there's days to just really creep around with each other between your legs.
0: Yeah. And you know with it is it's sort of like this uh in my thesis I called it mountains of responsibility, which was kind of was kind of cool. But the idea is uh you really feel like when you're you're kind of given the keys to the backcountry. And so, with that, there's a, a huge responsibility. And it's like, I don't want to wake up. You know, like I've definitely had sleepless nights where it's like, you know, I really want to make sure that I've gotten point across, you know, about cornices or someplace that we've gone, you know. And it's like, did I teach that well enough? You sure. know, did, did, are they getting it? So you're not building overconfidence or something. Yes, like that. you do not want to build overconfidence. And uh, so the idea is, you know, I just, you know, those are things that I carry with me is like, Um, I'm not giving a sense of, of false confidence, you know, and you know, making them overconfident. If anything, it's like, I probably, you know, do the scare tactic maybe more, which has been somewhat proven to not work anyway, but you know, I just want to make sure that I've done my due diligence to really, um, explain that all the stuff is, is hazardous and, um, you know, but we've gone since 2007 and this is solid wood, this is wood, we got wood, right. But it is, um, I'm, I'm just incredibly proud of everyone There's the program. And I've, and I've heard of students that have actually turned people around, you know, and they've done other rescues on like highway, like MVAs and things like that. And honestly, by the end of the, the, you know, when we're halfway through the season, um, I know more about the students I'm working with and their rescue skills, right? And maybe their decision-making skills than some of the friends that I ski tour with, right. you know? Right. And it's sort of like, you know, we, we often assume that, you know, just because somebody's, you know, 42 and has been ski touring for, you know, 25 years, that they really know what they're doing. And that's not always that's not always the case, right? Sure. So I honestly, like, I feel like a lot of these students, you know, have my back when I'm actually...
1: Skiing with them. That's awesome. And, and so each other's back cool. too. And each you other's back. Yeah. You're building their their safe crew of people to go explore with going yeah. forward. And it's a testament that you've uh, you've had a lot of your alumni as co uh, instructors on ASD courses down the
0: road. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I remember I broke some ribs and uh one year and Mitch came on our snow caving trip with us and he was a few years, of, I think you were working at patrol then. Yeah. And I couldn't dig a snow cave, I couldn't do anything and so I brought a tent on that trip, and then do you remember, Mitch was sleeping in the tent with me, and I could barely get in the sleeping bag, and I just remember Mitch lowering me into my sleeping bag, like with my, like doing like an bar and I was like, oh, 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 oh. I just remember some students outside the tent, and I was like, everything in, everything in there okay, guys? And, I was like, oh. and I, then I'd like get in my sleeping bag, and then we had to get up and tour the next day, but
1: um, Not too many people that go winter camping with broken ribs, that's pretty.
0: <laughs> yeah. And they may have been
1: separated. I mean give it a hyperbole there, but it was it was sore. And
0: uh, yeah, which came in there and, um, it's it's so great. Like, you know, Laura and I work, you know, once a year together at least, and uh, it's great. Like um, I learn from them now, which
1: is really cool. It's called their yeah. They're team. doing
0: more days than I'm doing now. And I learn like if I um you know, and I do continue in professional development and things like that through CAA. You know, I really try and stand top my game, but you know, I look to these two now if I'm not sure of something. I could be like, "Hey, you know, is it, did something change in the industry that I'm that I'm not? You know, did I miss that and things like that?" And it's like um, I've always treated the people that I like to work with, no matter where we are in our careers, as, as equals. The idea of co-instructors, awesome. not um, lead and assistant instructors. And I really, um, you know, I really pride myself in being an avalanche instructor. Um, and sometimes when I work with with uh, with guides and things like that, I have to sort of say, "Hey, just remember that we're teaching these students to. They're not going. We're not going to be there. Like we're going to spend this time with them, and then they're going to take this and do what they what what they choose to do with this. So we are instructors first, you know. Okay. And of course, we wear the guide hat, you know, when we have when we have to. But it's really about instructing and learning and it's that you know proverb of you know catch a fish for somebody and you feed them for a day but if you teach them how to fish they'll never go hungry yeah that sort of idea i kind of butchered the analogy there but uh, it's it's uh that's sort of the idea right it's not we're not just out there taking give you an experience backcountry skiing it's like you know we all know that once we backcountry ski we're hooked oh yeah <laughs> and we know that that's what we want to do right so there's there is a, a great responsibility as, as instructors with youth to really make sure we do it well and um, and we have to get across the point that it's like you're not going to learn it all right now and you're and you have to keep learning all the time and you have to recognize it once you think that you've got this thing dialed you don't yeah you're
1: fishing for an accident and yes you, think you yes you really got it started
0: yeah sure. so so really trying to get that across and you know what people don't want to get hurt in the mountains no they sure. don't like people don't want to get hurt in the mountains and you know we can always say oh those guys are some, you know they, can't they did that like a bunch of idiots and
1: things like that it's like well they just didn't know right well, for the most part, part be quick to judge in hindsight but mm-hmm. how many times have we been in a situation in the mountains where, I my risk tolerance threshold here, and but I'm here now. Yeah. <laughs> We've got to navigate our way back out of here. And at times, uh, yeah. it's hindsight that kind of reveals that. Theory. That's right. I think Mitch made a great point, too, about um, relatability to students when you're talking about as a youth that grew up skiing and that sort of thing, saying, you know, I've, I've been there. I built the booter in the middle of Weimer Bowl no backpack throwing double backflips to face plant. like it, we've all been there of thing. so it's pretty cool to to have that uh rapport with the students well you guys we've been uh about an hour here so i want to thank you guys for your time and a uh, really great chat i feel like you could go on for a while here but uh i think that's been a pretty awesome chat so thanks so much for making time to to join me does anybody want to add anything before we uh take it forward here?
0: Yeah, so there was a there was an instant we were, did a student navigation day, up uh, and the students had to you know we basically gave them a destination. It was Mount BD via Whitewater Lodge, up over White Queen and it was a total whiteout day, completely storming day, like horrible day, and uh, student led. And so myself and co instructor were were basically you know following, making sure they're making good decisions, not you know. Like, you know, giving them just enough guidance to be like, if you go down there, you, that's not that's not on. It was, I was eating uh, some uh, pepperoni. And I thought it was like the stuff from the charcuterie Like, you know, it's got that, those salt crystals and stuff on there, like the high end stuff that actually looks kind of moldy or whatever. Yeah. So I was eating that and I'm like, this kind of tastes weird. And uh, we're skiing down that little North Ridge to get to Beattie. And I'm following this student and he's just putting up a huge smoke show. Like, and I'm right behind him. Just like,
2: Whoa!
0: and then he stops right above a big, this big house sized boulders there. And he stopped and I was like, Oh, I'll just stop below him, which I was And I went off the boulder and <laughs> just went then like lawn darted and landed upside down as we were landing upside down, like completely like this. Yeah, so and then I kind of flipped over. I was like, Oh, cause I just couldn't see. He was just, putting up a huge smoke truck. And so I was like, oh, well, that's kind of embarrassing. But anyway, so I, I get up and then I wasn't, I wasn't feeling good. And then his name was Cam. And he's like, sir, you look really green. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I don't feel so good. And anyway, so I, I got food poisoning and uh, we were on the, um, sort of the opposite side of the ridge to the, the road. And it's like, if you could have like if it was any other place, I would have been like, we're done. I got to get out of here. Anyway, So I was projectile vomiting. uh, And then I I was with the students and they're still doing their navigation. And it was like, there was no way we had to finish the day basically. So I would go behind some trees and I would throw up. And I was just like, you know, it's like, if there was a gun in my pack or whatever, like I would have used it. (laughs) I was just like, I am so sick right now. Oh man. And it was, it was a great ski day. And then anyways, it was just like, I just purged out of my system and then we started Skiing down, dropping down into a West Five Mile Creek there, and the skiing's quite good in there. And uh, after about uh, I don't know, about like ten or twelve powder turns, it just completely cleared my system, and I got down to the group, and I felt good. I'm like, I'm back, baby. I'm back. <laughs> I was like, I'm, powder is the cure. So I got cleared my powder, like good powder skiing. And we had this huge celebration, and then we skied all the way down to there, and then navigated. Yeah, getting sick and is not great, especially
1: when you're responsible for it. And for those that don't know the area, that is like the Bermuda Triangle back there. It's probably the number one spot for lost skiers. Yes, for Nelson Star, would you say, Laura? Is the I
2: have maybe like one or two calls back there a year. Like I've been on a number myself. Uh, yeah, it's very. A kind of simple avalanche terrain but complex navigational terrain. Yeah. It's
1: low angle and treed, so you never really get a good view of the sky to well, or a of a ridge to be able to um yeah. kind of place yeah. yourself geographically. So if you're and not good with a people map.
2: like picture it in their heads, they don't picture Mount Beatty in the middle, they think they're in five mile or they're on the white water side and it's right. actually there's another kind of drainage in there, the west west five mile that kinda of catches folks off guard mm-hmm.
1: and and Mount Beebe's not much of a mountain either. It's no, for, especially from the the side that you access it. It's she's pretty uh, defined. It's a bit of a bump. Yeah, totally. That's where Laura spent
0: on a task all night chasing some people from Alberta down there, calling out, doing sound sweeps for them, and didn't they think that you were wolves?
2: Yeah, they, they kept maybe. on
0: going. <laughs> <laughs> they were running away from you or something like that. Well, they
2: weren't running. I think they just committed to the fact that they were going to get eaten. Which is story. And I think, I mean, you know, people who are lost, that's a
0: whole nother podcast. Yeah. But that's, a, you know, in the program, that's another thing we do is, is a lot of navigation
2: and, you know, what
0: does that have to do with avalanche safety? It has a lot to do with avalanche safety, right? Being able to keep yourself out of avalanche terrain as well and not getting lost. And it's sort of, it's all, you know, it's all part of the same package from my perspective. So we try and take them to places where people get lost and say, no, you don't need markings on
1: trees to get out of here. You need, you know, good old fashioned map and compass, altimeter skills. Only so many people rely on the visual clues and that Mm -hmm. piece of terrain is one where you don't get much of that. Because as Laura said, it all looks the same. There's not much of any kind of prominence around you. You get turned around pretty quickly without the handy compass. I meant to it's ask really you Graham, did, did you face any kind of uh, I don't know if resistance is the right word but like skepticism or anything from perhaps within the educational system or something like that when you're trying to start um, that program or was
0: yeah that... uh, somewhat um, you know and I think it's really important to recognize that when you know if anyone's out there that wants to, to be uh, you know an outdoor educator is don't let uh, you need to have your school board and your administrators on board and you need to let them know what's going on and you need to also make sure that they know that you're the one that actually knows what you're talking about um you know so many young teachers they want to do it I get asked all the time and then it's like well my principal says that I'm going to have to do it on the weekend it's going to be a club and we're going to fundraise and uh you know uh, and I'm supposed to take them skiing and I've known many teachers that have actually been sort of forced their hand has sort of been forced to become outdoor educators and they're like I don't have first aid course i don't have experience you know i've got you know i don't have any professional level courses and but i've been told that you know the school wants this so i have to do that so I, i think it's really important to recognize that you have to sort of police yourself and i've really aligned myself with um industry standards and you know best practices of like with acmg i've had my program audited by i've hired ski guides to come with me and just say hey what do you think? You know, what, what do you think? What, where, where are there some holes here? Um, align myself with, you know, Avalanche Association, uh, Canadian Avalanche Association, align myself with, um, you know, for canoeing and, you know, recreational canoeing associate associations that are not just school associations.
1: Sure. That keeps you at a professional standard. And yeah, absolutely. Because of course content.
0: Yeah. Honestly, school, school districts, they, they just don't, some do, some don't. And I think there needs to be more industry standards for teachers and certifications and experience levels in order to run effective uh, programs um, that are, you know, lower, that, that will lower your, your risk band. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. I didn't use the word safe there. Because I, I think so this, well, the of we'll say "Say you know, say it's you know, this program is safe and things like that. It's like all pro you know, everything has risk. So I tend to never say, Your child is is safe with me, that sort of thing. It's like we are managing risk and we are uh, going into, you know, a low risk situation. The program is low risk, right? But there is risk, right? It makes like it a definitely. much more informed
1: decision for yeah. Can be a parent. Mm-hmm. Sure. That's much more realistic. Yeah, you know, right? getting on a school bus is. That's yeah, probably really sketchier than going skiing. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Well, it was great. Thank you guys. It was fun. It was really good. Yeah. Well, that was a great conversation about youth avalanche education with Graham, Laura, and Mitch. Thank you, folks, for joining me, and thank you for listening. Laura and Mitch both talked about the AABBS or Avalanche Awareness Beyond the Boundaries Society. This non-profit society has provided free avalanche courses to hundreds of Kootenai kids aged 13 to 18 since 2009. There's a link in the show notes if you're interested in learning more about what they do. The society was formed to address the trend at a time of local kids venturing into the backcountry without gear or education. It has made a big impact on the local kids and I believe this kind of thing could happen in all ski towns. This podcast is all about sharing stories, knowledge and news. So if you have suggestions or questions for future episodes, please contact us. You can do that on our website at www.theavalanchehour.com where you can also find all our past episodes. You can find the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at The Avalanche Hour Podcast. If you've been enjoying the podcast, tell a friend and please rate, review and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get Caleb some more five-star reviews. He's been putting out a great podcast for years, and I think it's only getting better. Those five-star reviews really help out. If you want to help support the podcast, there's a new donate button on theavalanchehour.com. Our artwork was created by Mike T. Thanks, Mike. Head over to miket.com and check out some of Mike's work. That's m-i-k-e-t-e-a.com. Music for this episode was I Do Love You by Age Diamante and used with permission from the artist. This episode was produced by Wes Gregg. Thanks, Wes. Until next time, stay tuned, stay safe, keep having fun out there.